But I'd uh, like to talk about uh, this is the Pasha Vayikra. I'd like to talk about Korbanot. Now, Korbanot is a difficult topic. It's a difficult topic because um, I think for two reasons. First, uh, I don't think we relate to Korbanot very well. And whatever Korbanot are or were intended to be, uh, we don't feel the lack. I mean, I don't think people feel that, they, that they're missing something in their Jewishness. I'm not talking about the Beit HaMikdash. I'm talking about that People don't pine away for Korbanot. They don't think about how good life would be if we could only give Korbanot. Even though the, the evidence against that is that I remember when I was uh, a young man, I had never seen anybody who uh, killed a chicken every Yom Kippur. I never saw such a thing. And today, it's all the rage. I mean, you know, if you haven't killed a chicken, then uh, what do you expect that God will think of you? It's up to a, something like that. So Korbanot are a little hard for us to relate to. And even though in the Torah they, they take up a lot of space, part of the book of Ayikra, part of the book of Bamidbar, there's a lot of space that's taken up by Korbanot, nevertheless, uh, we don't kind of feel for that. We don't empathize. It's not like learning the parashiyot of Bereshit where we can kind of identify with Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, but it's hard to, to identify with the Korban. Now that's in general. In particular, half the Korbanot at least are about chata'im, about sins that we do in expiating the sin. Some Korbanot are called chatat or chata'ot, some are called Asham or Ashamot. And those Korbanot specifically deal with hate with in general. But there are also other Korbanot that deal with hate. We don't always know what the hate is. A, a Yoledet, or a woman who has a baby, a, <coughs> a Mitzorah, a Nazir. I mean, all these people that have been korbanot that are classified as chatat. So you would think that if the system that implies purification, that we can purify ourselves, demanded korbanot, well, what do we do today? What do we do today? How do we live today? So you know that the Rambam, the Rambam says, today... You know, the Rambam doesn't say, oh, we don't have Korbanot, so here we are. A miserable folk who can never do tshuva properly and never get atonement. He doesn't say that. The Rambam says, okay, so there's no Korbanot, so we have to put all our efforts into doing tshuva. What do you mean we have to put all our efforts into doing tshuva? Where there were Korbanot, you didn't have to put all your efforts into tshuva? It would just happen automatically, somehow? What is it? I mean, somehow the whole idea that there are korbanot doesn't sit well with us. And you know that throughout the modern time, modern times, many 
different commentators, modern-day commentators, have written about this question. Like, and, and what about Korbanot? And what about them? Well, it's a this, or it's a that, or it's a metaphor, right? You know, Korbanot. Uh, some of the, uh, the articles that have been written that uh, are interesting. You know, Lord Jacobowitz, right, printed in the uh, United Synagogue Sidur, has a long article about uh, Korbanot. How having them is wonderful and not having them is wonderful. Everything is wonderful. You know, that's uh, Lord Jacobowitz, he wrote about Korbanot. Hirsch wrote about Korbanot. I mean, there are a lot of places that you could get to. I would like to, I would like to uh, study with you together tonight two great commentators on this topic of Korbanot. One is the Ramban, and the other is Rav Nachman of Braslav, who, as you know, lived about 600 years apart, but both thought well about, thought well about these kinds of topics. So first the Ramban. The Ramban is in the introduction of the Ramban to the book of Ayikra. You know that the Ramban, one of the, one of the interesting features of the commentary of the Ramban is they wrote introductions to the books of the Bible. Right? And besides the introductions to the books of the Bible, there's a very long introduction at the beginning of his commentary, which is actually an introduction to the Torah. Like, what is the Torah? Where does it come? What is it for? That's the Ramban's long introduction. It's, it's masterful and worth every minute of your investigation of it. But here we're talking about the introduction of the Ramban, the introduction of the Ramban uh, to the book of Ayikra. And the Ramban says, this is the top, the first uh, thing on the page, HaSefer HaZehu Torat Kohanim V'Halavi'im. He ignores the fact that we call it Vayikra. And he says, no, Torat Kohanim V'Halavi'im. It's those things that the Kohanim and the Leviim have to know about especially. Yivra'erbo inyanei ha-korbanot. So the book of Vayikra is going to teach us about korbanot. Kulan. U-mishmeret ha-mishkan. Mishmeret ha-mishkan means the watchfulness over the Mishkan. Which again means that the Mishkan has boundary lines. Everybody comes up to here. People at the Horim, pure, can go up to there. Kohanim can go up to there. That's called Mishmeret HaMishkan. So of course the Rabban has a question. Why, why do we need all of this? After all, this information is information for professionals. Who are the professionals? The Kohanim and Levim. So go teach the Kohanim and Levim about Korbanot. I have to know how to give a Korban. All I have to know is that I bring the animal. I don't have to know how to do it. I don't know what's going on. So we see where the, where the laws of Shabbat, the laws of Shabbat are not at all indicated in the Torah. Even though the laws of Shabbat, the Torah mentions many times that there is such a thing as Shabbat. But it does not explain to us how we do it. And the laws of Shabbat are laws that devolve upon every single person, every single week. Whereas the laws of, laws of Korbanot, you would think, it would be good enough for the experts to know. 
What do I have to know about the laws of Kovanot? I'm not bringing a Korban this week. I'm not going to the Beit HaMikdash. So the Torah is backwards, inside out. Right? Shabbat is missing. Not the word Shabbat. The word Shabbat appears many times in the Torah. But how do I keep it? How do I know that I'm not allowed to cook on Shabbat? It doesn't say exactly that I'm not allowed to cook on Shabbat. It doesn't say I'm not allowed to sew, or I'm not allowed to build, or I'm not allowed to do whatever else I'm not allowed to do. It's not in the Torah. Those are the Lamitet Lachot, the 39 Lachot, which are implied from the Lachot of the Mishkan, from the Lachot that we use building the Mishkan. So, look what the Ramban says. The end of the first line. He says, there was a book. That is the book of Galut and Gula. That's the book of Shemot, right? So the end of that book is about building the Mishkan, right? Remember, Shemot Va'era. Bo Bishalach. Shmot Ve'era Bo Bishalach is about Yitziat Mitzrayim. We also read really the exile in Mitzrayim because that took place right at the beginning of the parish of Shmot. Ve'yotho Melech Hadash al-Mitzrayim. So Shmot Ve'era Bo Bishalach, that's Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitro Mishpatim, part of Kitisa, is, um, is Matan Torah. Chumat, it's Aveva, Yakel Pikudei, that's Mishkan. That's the building of the Mishkan. So that the book of Shemot, and he says that here, Galut Menu, is a synonym for the Mishkan, for the tabernacle. Mishkan, and that's the end of the book of Shemot. That the presence of God, or the glory of God, or the honor of God, filled the Mishkan. Then Sivahu Bekorbanot then God told Moshe Rabbeinu immediately about all the laws of Korbanot and how we watch over the Mishkan. Sheyu, now listen to this. Sheyu a Korbanot In order that everybody should understand that there's a mechanism that brings you to Kapara. What is Kapara? Kapara's atonement. It was a, the thing that B'nai Israel had to understand was that there was a, mechani- a mechanism which offered them atonement. The lo yigrimu ha'avonot l'saleik ha'shchina. Should I say that again? The lo yigrimu ha'avonot l'saleik ha'shchina. This is the Ramban. Right, like 800, 900 years ago, he never, he never saw Chosid in his life. He never saw Shrimo in his life. You know, he says, he says, what's going on here? He says, Sheyu Akorbanot Kaparalahem. So you say, let's go back to B'nai Yisrael. Let's go back to B'day Yisrael. It's Moshe Rabbeinu, he says. Okay, we have a Mishkan. Bring in the gold, the silver, the donations. Let's put up a Mishkan. And they do. And then Moshe Rabbeinu says, ah, we're the greatest. We're the greatest people of all time. We're the first ones who ever built a place for God in this world. Yay. What do people say? People say, you know, 
We're the ones who built the uh, the golden calf. We're the uh, the we're the ones who couldn't control ourselves for ten seconds after we figured that Moshe Rabbeinu should have been returned to, to the to the world. So, what difference does it make if we have a Mishkan or not? That was always the argument of Bnei Yisrael against Moshe Rabbeinu. What difference do we have a Mishkan? What do we know in a Mishkan? There's no there's no difference because we're going to get it. Somehow we sneak through after the ego. But you know what, what God says? And Rashi says that forever after, when the Jews are punished in history, they will also get a little additional punishment for the Chaita Ego. And that means that the Chaita Ego, for the Chaita Ego, there was no atonement. Right? There was not, it didn't go away. It didn't go away. So here today, Israel is standing in front of the Mishkan. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu. They say to Moshe Rabbeinu, look, good try, but it's not going to work. Good try, but it's not going to work. So the Ramban says, so that's why the book of Ayikra had to be written after the book of Shemot. Because what does the book of Ayikra say? What does the book of Ayikra say? The book of Ayikra says that there's atonement. And that even if they walked, the Glacier walked on that precipice, even if they, they, they're like about to fall into some abyss and never be able to climb out, even at that point, there's a Korban. So that the implication for the Ramban, I think, is this. I think it's this. Why do we have Korbanot? We have Kobanot because we are a miserable example of who we should be. But if we hadn't built the golden calf, if we hadn't rebelled against the authority of Moshe Rabbeinu, there wouldn't be any Kobanot. It's not true, according to the Rabbah, that the essential event in religious activity is a Korban. The Korban is only there. Why can't I, why can't I depend on Shuva if I do it at Eir? Because the people understood that they didn't have that capacity. They couldn't overwhelm the Avera with their Shuva. And therefore they needed some kind of tangible Shuva. Like somehow God said, well if you do this, then it'll be alright. Some kind of a neutral panacea that had nothing to do with your emotional reality. It was not because you were, quote-unquote, from, or about tshuva, or you were approached your hate in some way that was overwhelming. It was rather that you depended on the korban. You said, okay, I'll be the korban. It's a donation. It's a day off from work. It's an effort. It's something that can only be done, you know, with some general kind of cost. So HaKadosh Baruch said to B'nai Yisrael, if you do that, you'll be atoned. So that the opinion of the Ramban might be, this is my inference, that the higher level of Jewish existence is not when the Korban guarantees atonement. It's when your own level of tshuva is so profound that there is no doubt that heaven has to grant you atonement. So that the question that I posed at the beginning, which is, if you need a carbon, how can you do without it? 
If you need a carbon, how can you have tshuva without a carbon? How does the Rambam so glibly say, okay, we don't have a carbon, so it's all tshuva today? How does the Rambam say that? So I don't know how the Rambam said it, but I know how the Rambam said it. The Rambam said, Am Yisrael had to be convinced after Moshe Rabbeinu argued with God and begged God to forgive them, and God said, okay, they had to explain to B'nai Yisrael how this forgiveness was meaningful for the future. Because B'nai Yisrael said, would say, look, okay, Moshe Rabbeinu, you got that kind of power. You can get forgiveness from God even for us. But what's going to happen when there's no Moshe Rabbeinu? What happens when there's no one to defend us and to protect us? What's going to happen until Rav Levi Yitzchuk of comes along? That's a long time. It's another 700 years. How are we going to make it? 700, I'm sorry. 2700. How are we going to make it? How are we going to live through it? So the Rabban said, Rabban said, HaKadosh Baruch gave us this formalistic answer. If you do it, you'll be atoned. And that was comforting to B'nai Yisrael. That's what, so that in some way, even though the Torah contains all these details about the Korbanot, in some way we know that in an ultimate sense, we don't need Korbanot. We have it in us to live without Korbanot. So that when we cry on the destruction of the temple, we cry on the fact that it was easier. Not that it's now impossible. If it was impossible to do Shuvah, then we'd be done for the Galut, the exile from Eretz Yisrael, the destruction of the temple, forced us to raise ourselves even higher than we were, to overcome the loss of the temple and the Korbanot, which apparently we were able to do, at least to some extent. And that's why you can live without Korbanot. And when you live without Korbanot, you don't have a desire for Korbanot. So I remember, I remember, when they asked Rav Untim and Tzachorah Levach, who was then the chief rabbi of Israel after the Six-Day War, they said, oh, now we're going to go back to the Harabayit. Now we're going to build a Mizmeach. Now we'll give a Korban. You know, not today. I don't know about today's political mess. I don't know anything about that. But I know about 1967. In 1967, after the Harabait was captured, so everybody said, oh, Korbanot. And Rabbi Unterman, who was then the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, said, it's not for us. We're not ready for that. What did he say? Did he say everybody should be wallowing in hell, punished by, uh, by, uh, by God for not doing true enough? I don't think that's what he meant. What he meant was, that we've worked it out so we don't have to look for those korbanot. That's what I think he meant. Someone else has heard him can uh, agree or disagree. So korbanot are a vehicle. That's why there's a tradition of Chazal that in the future, the only korban that will actually be given, all the korbanot will disappear. I didn't say that. It's in, uh, it's in the Gemara. All the korbanot will disappear except for the korban todah, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's the only thing that will be left. 
But you won't need korbanot for chatat, for chataot. Because we'll be able to rise to the occasion. We'll be able to do tshuva such that in heaven they will take note of the tshuva that we did. So that's what I think that the Ramban is trying to push us in the direction of thinking that korbanot were needed mostly at the time immediately following the Cheta Egel. That was the critical time. And the Korbanot came to say to B'nai Yisrael, if you do it right, you will be atoned. As unreasonable as it sounds that you can get atonement for the Cheta Egel, it was promised by HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the, through the uh, Korbanot. We little, read a little bit more. The third line, and the Avonot will not cause the disappearance of the Shechina, which is what the Mishkan was about. It was about the presence of God. So that the Kohanim were warned at this time, we talked about that, that there's a state of Kiddushah that has to precede everything that goes on in the Beit HaBikdash. But then he goes on and says, Gam They should not have the, uh, have the chutzpah to go past the boundaries. In other words, when they stood at Har Sinai, there were boundaries. Moshe Rabbeinu went to the top. Yoshua Binun and the Skenim, not so far. Am Yisrael at the bottom of the mountain, and this is imitated in the Mishkan. So according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, of equal weight, are these two things. Equal weight. One is, one is korbanot, and the other is gvulot. Gvulot, it seems like a simple matter. If you're tomei, up to here. If you're tahor, up to there. If you're the kohen gadol and yom kippurim, even further. But we see, according to the Ramban, that the demand on Bnei Yisrael through the Mishkan the primary demand was formalistic. And if the demand is formalistic, there's a tremendous chance that you'll be able to do it. That's the great comfort in mitzvahs. It's a great comfort we see today in chumras. And why is everybody so excited about chumras? Why do people like chumras? Because they're good. Because they're good. You say to somebody, David, today, Hayamazer, Say, David. So he says, well, what do I do? So well, you just stand before God and you have a kavana. I mean, even if you understand Hebrew, stand before God. Where, where do I stand before God? Kavana. How do I have kavana? Now, this is not the question that people ask today. This is the question people ask for the last 2,000 years. It appears in the Gemara that Tosin says, Tosin says, uh, what happens if you don't have Kavana when you dive in in the morning? What's the answer? What should you do? What should you do? So Tosin says, well, maybe you should dive in again. So another Shemona So then Tosin says, 
Well, if you didn't have Kavada the first time, who says you're going to have Kavada the second time? What is this, uh, Bracha B? Like, uh, like you just go around and do it? So it says, uh, so you do it without Kavana. So you do it without Kavana. Imagine that. Like, like the Halacha's response to reality is a Haikuk. If you can't dive it. So you don't dive it. Chumas are not like that. Anybody could do that. Anybody could do Chumas, and you know you did it. Because, because that's the nature of a Chumas. You don't make a Chumas in Kavana. You ever hear a Chumas in Kavana? I never did. Do you ever hear a Chumas of Dugia three minutes earlier? Or whatever it is. Or ten minutes earlier? Of course. Ten minutes earlier? What a Bechaya. Anybody can do that. Imagine, ten minutes early, gets me into God Eden. So could I daven to get into God Eden? Crazy. You can't daven to get into God Eden. Because nobody knows how to daven. Whether you, check, whether you shuggle horizontally or shuggle vertically or you, you jump up and down while you daven, there's no okay difference. There's I mean, Telsus already said that nobody daven with Kavona. So what do you, how do you get Chinese for? Oh, you ought to uh, get the, uh, the the Shuffler of the Year award at the annual dinner. Okay, das versteh. I mean, I understand that. What I don't understand is why you don't recognize the fact that we don't dive with kavana. So chumra is a chumra. What's a chumra? I have to walk another block to the butcher with the longer beard. They eat the chickens that said Kriyat Shema before they shechted them. So it's a pleasure. What, what wife, mother, woman, father, husband, child wouldn't do that? Of course. Maybe the chicken has to cook. Well, that's how the chicken doesn't have to cook. Chickens are stupid. And we don't have high expectations of chickens. I remember there's a, there's a, a kashrus in Eretz Yisrael. Once they were in the yeshiva, they came around to sell us chickens. They were very inexpensive. This kashrus is known as the most expensive kashrus in Israel. So you should know who it is. And they were selling chickens in the yeshiva. The, the truck comes by and says, we'll sell you the chickens for half of what everybody else sells chickens for. <laughs> so... So I couldn't believe it. I said, I'm going to sell for half. He's the most expensive in the country. So I call him up. I say, Rabbi, so-and-so, what's going on? He says, look. He says, we have all these chumras that make, uh, that make our chickens very expensive. Now, he didn't say this, but he could have said, I invent most of these chumras. <laughs> so now, if I have, so what happens if I have a chicken that doesn't live up to the chumras standard? So I can't sell it for less. Because it'll be bad for my business. Because I don't want to have two lines, like a more expensive line. So what I do is I sell to yeshivas at a very discounted price. Because everybody understands you sell to yeshivas. It's like a charity. But really, these are the chickens that I can't sell on the market because they're not chumraized properly. Okay? So for chumras, you pay money. And you're happy to pay money. That's the point. Everybody's happy to pay money because... Everybody wants a good spot in Ghana, And the easiest way to get a good spot in Ghana, everybody thinks, is to pay for it. So there you are. So the Ramban 
The Ramban teaches us that there's a formalistic side to to what the Torah expand, expects of us. And that's a great privilege for those who are in trouble. For the people who built the Egel Azahab, the golden calf. I mean, they had no other, they had no other recourse except to bring Korbanot. So the Torah told them to bring Korbanot. The second source that I'd like to look at, or the second source of this page, is Rav Nachman of Bratzlev, but not in a Torah, in the Lukute Torah, in a, what's called a, 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 a Sicha. Like Rav Nachman talked to Rav Nosen about things. Sha'umdimber of Marshal Olam. Some of them were uh, discussed elsewhere by Rav Nachman. And Rav Nosen used to write them, write them down or write them up, depending on where you come from. And listen to Rav Nachman. So this is Rav Nachman. Rav Nosen wrote it, but this is Rav Nachman. The second paragraph here. I mean, this is a wonderful uh, uh, insight. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about people who want to be good people. People who want to do the right thing. That's really what they want. They don't want to fool anybody. They don't want to get covered. They don't want to do things that other people will just say, oh, look at that. And look, they, they're just good people. Anashim Ksherim. Vilikanes Pavodat Hashem. That's what they want. They want to get closer. They want to be able to serve God. Vazai, yesh lahem bulim gedolim, u'miniot gedolot. He says sometimes you see people who are confused. They're confused about themselves. They're confused about standing before God. That's bilbulim, miniot. Things are preventing them. They're always in trouble. You know, suddenly one's going on his way to shul and he trips and falls into the hole. And some woman is going to the market to buy something and she loses a package. Like, there are many, you know, like, like sometimes you feel that something's against you. All you want to do is do the right thing. And somehow, somebody, something is against you in heaven, not letting you do it. I mean, those of you who are interested in psychology will see how good a psychologist Rav Nachman was. They're not able to find solace. They don't know how to get out of this, this problem that they seem to be in. They can never get things straight. What should they do to overcome this confusion within them? The hamini ot and those things that are preventing them. Shiyesh lahem, which they seem to have. The kol ma'asherotim lasod la'avodot Hashem, kashel lahem lasod karel. Whenever they try to do something that is avodas Hashem, which is the service of God, it seems difficult for them, impossible. He says, I want you to know, that the fact that these people who don't seem to be able to get it right, the fact that they want to get it right, 
the fact that they try to get it right, the Kadesh Atzvah, Be'ez HaKadushah, Al-Bi She'adam Yicholim Nigmok Ra'ui, Zebe'atzmo, I'm in the fifth line, Sheheim Mityagim Ulehutim Acharzeh Ubechinat Korbanot Bechinat Korbanot in, in other words, every avoda that you do is preceded by the desire to do the avoda. And the desire, and even if you don't do it properly, if you're not able to buy the thing at the right time, you're not able to get up in the morning, you're not able to go to shul, you're not able to do whatever you, but you want to do it. That wanting to do it is also an avoda. He says, those are like korbanot, and maybe we'll see what he means in a minute. It's pasuk, sometimes, sometimes a person, a person just, not successfully, but attempting, to do what he's supposed to do, that itself is a remarkable thing. The itaba tikunim in the tikune zohar, sheze bechinat tfila, shehi bechinat korbanot. This is tfila, and this is korbanot. What does that mean? Hainu. Look at this. Shrozim mitpalel. Shrozim mitpalel. Vermanichanotam. And he goes, he goes into shul, and he wants to dive, and he, he can't just get into it. He can't concentrate. He, she, that his mind starts wandering around, and he's thinking not about davening, but he's thinking about whatever else, the World Cup. Is that now the World Cup? Or there's some kind of a cup? Some kind of soccer international thing, I don't know what it is. So he, he can't even get to the point where he can dab it. Because he's like, there's other things happening in his head, in his heart. There are, there are things going on. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And so instead of davening, what is he doing? He's working hard to get to the point where he can daven. He's not davening. He's trying to get rid of all those other thoughts that he had in his head. He's trying to get his body kind of peaceful enough so that he can stand before God in a reasonable way. As I. Azai, Rav Nachman says. And so, even if he does not daven properly, See, that's what a korban is. I would translate it as we said about the Ramban. What's a korban? A korban's nothing. Why is a korban nothing? Because when you give a korban, you need kavanah. 
If you bring a korban chatat, a korban on a, a sin offering, what do you mean? You just bring a korban? You have to have kavana to do tshuva. That's the main thing. That's what I think so about. So what's the finish of a korban? That even if you didn't do the main thing, but you brought a korban, so that korban is effective. That's what a Kodesh Bochum promises. Moshe Rabbeinu promises Ben Israel. Ben Israel came and they said, look, we made the golden calf. What do you think? We're to bring korbanot? What do we know? We're not, we're not steady. We're not the right people. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, God's promise. If you bring a korban, you get atonement. What do you mean you bring a korban, you get atonement? Even if you didn't do real tshuva. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. And that is the same as the relationship between preparing, preparing for tefillah and tefillah. What is tefillah? Tefillah is tshuva. Tefillah is the expectation that we can reach tremendous heights. That's what tefillah is. But what if you don't reach those tremendous heights? What if you just fight with yourself about who you are and where you're going or what you're going to do? What does Rav Nachman say? That's like a korban. That's like a korban. And so even if you didn't get to the level of tefillah, you didn't get to the level of, of, of sincere, uh, 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 a sincere meeting with heaven, with God. If you're not speaking directly to God, but you're just reading things out of the sitter, and you're sort of forcing yourself to pay attention, says even then Rav Nachman says, you get the schut of the, of the struggle. You get the schut of the struggle just like B'nai Yisrael were getting the schut of the korban when they gave the when they gave the korban, so we would see that according to the Dachma the Bratzlev and according to the Ramban, we have to think about things a little bit differently. And there's no doubt that the schut, the greatest schut that man can have, man slash woman can have, is tshuva slash kavana real intention, real sincerity, really coming close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in what you, that's the real of the real of the real. But the Torah knows that it can't make that demand on every single person in the world. If you said to every person, listen, your only hope is doing Tshuva Gemura, as the Rabbah says. Very basic, a little Tshuva. Your only hope is doing Tshuva Gemura. So okay, so people resign. They hand, they hand, they hand in their visa cards. And leave the Jewish people. I mean, you can't live like that. So what does the Torah say? What does the Torah say? The Torah says there's also a korban. Korban is not a profound effort. But you can, everybody can do it. So the Torah says, the Torah says, if you do the korban, it'll be as though you did tshuva. That, and so what... What, what, the, what the Chorban Abayit was, the loss of the easy path. And we're forced to regroup around the difficult path. In a similar vein, you have Nachman of Ratzlitz says, what do they want of us? They want us to daven? I mean, how can we daven? We have this problem and that problem. 
this inclination, that inclination, everything's annoying us, everything's making us unhappy, how are we going to daven? So Rav Nachman of Bratzlov said this, just like the Korbonos are kind of there, until you could do tshuva, until you could have the Kavlana, until you could rise up above this, and so you have, you have Korbonos. So Rav Nachman said the same thing is true about davening. Until you can daven, you have the struggle to daven. You have the effort that you put into daven. And that struggle, according to Nachman Abrasov, and that struggle is just like the Korban, a formalistic procedure that enables heaven to dispense atonement. And heaven is pleased to wait until you're actually able to do the tshuva that is demanded. So that we started out by asking a question, and the answer may be that Meiko Adin, at the very outset, although I admit that this is not exactly what everybody might say the first time around, but I think it's what the Ramban implies, that giving a korban is a lot easier than doing tshuva. And the Bnei Yisrael were standing with Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't imagine how they would ever be forgiven. After all, they built the golden calf. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, there's a Chiddush in the book of Ayikra. The Chiddush in the book of Ayikra is that there's a Korban. And that the Korban works. And since giving a Korban is easy compared to doing Tshuva, you don't have to worry Bnei Yisrael. As long as you have the mechanism of the korban, you will surely be forgiven. That's what uh, that's what Rav, uh, the Ramban, that's what Rabban says. Rav Nachman says the same thing is true. Rav Nachman says the same thing is true about tefillah. Just as there is tshuva, there is tefillah. Just as there is the korban, there's also the struggle for tefillah. And according to Rav Nachman of Bratzler, we get credit for the struggle, even if we haven't yet reached the level of, of tefillah itself. Okay, next week the Shia will be on the Haggadah. Not on the Pasha of but on the Pasha of the Haggadah. Have a good Shabbos.